Hey, group chat. I know y'all see my text. There's tea to be spilled. Each week, we're bringing you our unfiltered take on culture, news, dating, and our lives as Black millennial women. We're coming to y'all with the honesty and eye rolls that only a text chain with your girls can. This is Black Girls Texting with Chelsea, Glenn, and Shade. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Texting. I'm sorry again, we're traveling. We don't got the mics. Uh, it is what it is. I'm going to jump into the red reply. Listen, Better. I'm a working sorry. woman. So sorry, y'all. Y'all niggas are really able to fully pay my bills. The girls got to be on the go. Guys, we don't even have time for this explanation. Let's go <laughs> into it, please. Um, okay, <laughs> I am going to leave my, this is silly, but whatever. It's It really pissed me off. My flight into Boston on red part of it is my fault. All right. I was running late. I decided to wear these like brand new shoes that I just got thinking like, Oh, let me break them in. And my dumb ass like literally gets through security at seven and my flight is leaving at seven 30. So the doors are closing at seven 15 and my gate was conveniently all the way at the end. Like love doing this gate B 42. So now I'm booking it in fucking heels and I get to the gate This girl has a whole bunch of attitude with me for no fucking reason. Like, girl, what is the problem? And then she's like, sorry, you can't check your bag. So I'm like, ugh. So fine. I get on the plane. And lo and behold, what the fuck do I see? Mad empty fucking things where my bag could go. So I, please believe I push everybody out the way. And I'm like, I'm going to get my bag. And he's like, ma'am, I'm sorry. You can't do that. I'm like, why not? Why the fuck not? What is the problem? And he's like, once they tag it, no, I'm sorry. I was like, this is really ridiculous. Like I have somewhere to be. This don't even make any sense. Like I, I don't know who told who that there was no space on the plane when there's like 55 (laughs) empty rows of, overhead space but whatever I digress I'm like you know what Shade take a deep breath and read your book it's fine why don't we take off for another hour niggas are waltzing on the plane (laughs) left and right putting up their duffel bags putting up their mini bags putting up their dog bags I was livid I'm hungry I needed coffee y'all know I can't wake up I'm on a seven o'clock flight perturbed so yeah I'm really over that Delta you know, we have a love-hate relationship, but I'm really going to start acting like a white woman and be like, I am silver medallion. I am putting up my bag because this is just getting out of control. This is just getting out of control. Girl, silver oh. medallion. I don't care. That's enough. <laughs> I spent enough money with y'all. I'm like, is silver medallion even a thing to like- <laughs> I mean, it is, but anymore? there's way more tears after that. I don't care. I'm going to act <laughs> I'm gonna act bougie about it. I really don't be care. Like, and ma'am. I, I, um, and I'm going to be like, and you need you need these 30 segments to get here and however many miles so i done flown and i'd be giving y'all my money and being loyal so you don't know what act another crazy. solution is get to the airport early how about no, that? that's silly how about that so i could just be sitting around doing what no it's great getting to the airport early you sit at the lounge which by the way there's a beautiful lounge at lax there's two most people go to the old one but if you know the one i went to was ghetto if you know there's a new one and it's like half outdoor half indoor it literally looks like 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 a restaurant um 
it's very nice um wait that reminds but, yeah. me have y'all seen this woman on instagram who talks about like where to go meet sugar daddies and she talks about like certain terminals and airports to go and walk around and meet men send that to me honestly i almost got chose when i literally flew to chile and then was denied entry into Brazil and had to turn right back around. This man was like, are you okay? Come into the lounge with me. I was a young little something. Giving trafficking. Well, do you have a <laughs> reply? Um, I'm replying to, um, I guess I'll reply to this work trip. It's like traveling for work is like very isolating, but me as an extreme extrovert I kind of like it like last night everyone was like oh you want to join us for dinner and I was like oh um I can't and then my friends who live here are like do you want to do dinner and I was like oh I, I can't like so they all think I have like conflicts but really I just got in my robe and got in the bed and ordered room service and watched tv and it was everything so I'm replying to that isolation Okay, I love how the girl who only has 15 minutes to record took 10 minutes to do that was 10 minutes and that was a good story what do y'all have to say what are you replying to oh my god I live in LA fuck off (laughs) I am gonna leave on red this whole honeypot situation um so basically we saw or maybe you haven't seen but on Twitter there was this big thread about the honeypot sold out. The honeypot changed their ingredients. The honeypot. I love your hotel boy. <laughs> the honeypot is poisoning our vaginas. And then, you know, the founder and CEO, Beatrice Dixon, had to put out this like 15 minute long video in which she like basically explained everything, um, which I thought was really great that she did that. And after her explanation, I'm definitely like, definitely still team honeypot like she just added ingredients basically she added ingredients that would make the product better it's all safe and the reason why there wasn't like some big announcement is because of all the supply chain issues so they kind of had to like either quickly do it or not do it and wait till god knows when to do it granted this is a learning lesson for her hopefully next time she changes something she understands that the vagina owners that buy her products are very demanding and they want to know the information. And I think that that's also fair, but I do think that, and I'm speaking fast because these bitches have to go back to work. But I also think that we as black people do need to have a bit more grace um, with black founders. Um, I saw this post that I'm just going to quickly read. It says, thank you for checking in on me. But it isn't about me. It's about all of us. Black founders are underfunded, yet still measured up against our well-funded counterparts. Mm. If we make a mistake, our own community is quick to discard us. Black founders bear the brunt of systematic racism in business from all sides, balancing the expectations of investors, customers, and the Black community as a whole. We need to have a real conversation about the cost of doing business. And then I saw all these posts from Ami Kole founder, Giada, who was talking about the insane amount of anxiety that she deals with because she knows that if she makes a mistake it's gonna be it's gonna be way bigger than if the founder of Glossier who's a white woman for example makes a mistake still sending um, us emails who's still sending you emails I'm saying Glossier's still trying to get my business I'm like y'all are chopped oh <laughs> chopped oh remember when you were chopped because you can't play categories um <laughs> we'll talk about that on a Patreon but yeah I just want to 
um, just commend her for kind of stepping up to the plate and explaining everything. And also, you know, give her that criticism of if you're running a business, you should be transparent with your customers, especially when it has to do with your fucking vagina. But also black people, let's give the black woman some grace. Did you see the um, shade room comment where the person was like, I wish I had this energy for white owned brands. Right, because the amount of times that they change shit, like people are still spending $500 on La Mer, and that is not the La Mer of yesteryear. This new La Mer is not good. And I heard that from multiple estheticians, but you bitches are still going out there spending $500 on a bottle of it because it's French. Like, anyways, so I think people need to take a look in the mirror and really think about how they behave. Um, and I also want to reply to um, a few of my friends that just completed a Hyrox fitness competition. I just want to shout them out. It was super inspiring. I'm like, shit, do I want to do a Hyrox competition? Probably not because my hair is always laid. But yeah, that's all. Dead. <laughs> I'm weak. No, that looked amazing. <laughs> I watched the videos of them. I was like, goddamn. It was wild. Wrong. Super wrong. Active strong um i'm going to leave on red the fucking white supremacy of america of shooting in buffalo i feel like yeah. you know at the shootings it, in buffalo shootings it just it just keeps happening um the names of the victims are Celestine Cheney 65, Roberta A. Drury 32, Andre McNeil 53, Catherine Mas- Massey 72, Margus T. Morrison 52, Hayward Patterson 67, Aaron Salter Jr. 55, Geraldine Talley 62, Ruth Whitfield 86, Pearl Young 77. Our fucking elders grocery shopping. And when I, I've read a couple of their stories, like people were going out to get like supplies to make cakes and things, stuff that they bring down and give away for people to eat at the church, all these sorts of things. Just literally reminded me of my grandparents, literally. Um, and I don't know if you saw like on the dude's gun, he had like like some white supremacy insignia and it said like kill niggers on the front or some shit like that. And, you know, now my brain is going with conspiracies right but it but i i heard this episode of the uh of the daily where they were talking about how like he was going off of this manifesto that says that like there's a um this like replacement theory that mm-hmm. like black and brown people and immigrants are replacing whites and so his in, his mo was to rid the world of black people and then i was thinking about this whole abortion conspiracy we were talking about on a past episode um you know why are they coming yeah. for our bodies? And then I was watching this crazy ass shit on Netflix called Our Father um, that was about the, the man, that doctor that inseminated like who knows how many women, I forgot the number, like 70 something women or something with his own seed that were going in to get in vitro because he, one theory is that he was trying to create this like white Aryan race and all the kids are blonde haired and blue, blue eyed. What's wrong with them? Like what is wrong with y'all? y'all are crazy y'all yeah. are really crazy like yeah y'all they, are hate us. they hate us i suppressed us. that um because i was so upset about it but you're <laughs> absolutely right and i'm glad you brought it up and it makes me really think when people can literally look me in my black ass face and try to act like racism is something that no longer exists because black people uh live on star island and we had barack obama 
-hmm. And I'm like, nope. Apparently, literally in the grocery store, he almost shot a white person and went up to them and was like, oh, I'm sorry. And then kept going. I read that. Nasty. Well, did you also see the report? I mean, I don't know if it's related to racism, but shit, probably because it was a black woman who was the assistant manager of the grocery store tops. And she called 911 and was whispering, obviously, because there's a fucking active shooter. Mm -hmm. And the person on the other line, she said, said something really rude to her and was like, why are you whispering? I can't hear you speak up. And she was like, there's an active shooter. Like, he's near me. I hear him. I can't speak any louder than this. And then the lady was like, you're playing and like hung up the phone. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I feel like those people be nasty. When I hear those recordings, sometimes those people be talking to these people crazy. They That's really so do. Wild. And probably, especially when you hear a black woman's voice on the other mm-hmm. end, you're like, what kind of dumb shit? Like, yeah. right. I don't care about her life. Like, And I also like what on the Daily episode they talk about, like Tucker Carlson, who mm-hmm. gets like millions and millions of views, is like spewing like rhetoric that's not necessarily like, oh, like go and kill people, but it like alludes to this replacement theory. And like yep. that impacts politics and politicians utilize that. And then these extremists take it and run with it. But like, it's all cut from the same cloth and yeah. it's disgusting. It's yeah, so Tucker Carlson, he like his show is like the most viewed show in our country. Like his his like view, like uh, what's the word? I'm, I'm blanking on the viewership? word, but mm-hmm. viewership maybe. I was thinking of a different word, but sometimes it can be like as much as five times as CNN's. Wow. And you know, the thing that he's doing is doing it for those views and to be like an entertainer. Like, I wonder how much of the shit that he says he actually believes or is like, I think he he believes it. Jesus, he did. I think he believes it, but I don't think think he's over exaggerating things to give views. Yeah. And I would, I, we should actually do more research on this, on this and like do a later episode about this. Um, just this whole phenomenon of like people just being radicalized because of like videos and like Mm-hmm. that would be so interesting um even even like on a less serious note even like the kevin kevin samuelites but like that idea of like you watch a video and all of a sudden you just believe all of their rhetoric it's like very interesting um but he from what i was reading and obviously i said i want to do more research on this he was not always like this like he wasn't always on mm. this side similar to donald trump mm-hmm. like he wasn't always donald trump used to be homies with all the liberals like he was yeah very liberal and then all of a sudden when he felt like he could capitalize or you know gain money fame power whatever it is by saying nonsense that he probably I mean I don't know if he fully truly believed but like yeah it's just like I don't know it's funny to me because like these people don't realize Tucker Carlson probably thinks you guys are all fucking idiots he probably thinks you're stupid as fuck yep and he's just using you to make money like he doesn't care about you. <laughs> he comes from a rich family. Clout. He doesn't care about you podunk, poor white people. <laughs> he does not give a shit. Like, stop. Like, oh, you're no. literally following these ideals that go against your own interests. And it's just so stupid. It's so stupid. It's like, I don't know. It's embarrassing. Like, aren't you guys embarrassed? <laughs> well, it's better to be poor and white than black, according to these people. Yeah. 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 That's how they feel shame sad sad so fucking sad and terrible but to bring some um liveliness or hopeful levity levity there it is um you know i've been spending a little bit of time on on the tiktoks Mm. and this one page on instagram looking at these pages where people like interview people and ask them random things so one of the pages is watching new york on instagram they just 
like he just interviews people that are wearing like really weird quirky outfits and everybody's energy is super unique and like just out of the box and very cool but then there's this other page called um actually I don't know what it what if it has a name but the dude who hosts the page is called Shan Rizwan and he asks people out of the blue like what their favorite song of all time is like he just goes up to you and asks you and you have to just like pull it out of your ass there was a compilation of one before and like everybody was saying Frank Ocean and I like melted because I was like those are my people so I was going to ask you all if I were to just ask you on the spot what's your favorite song of all time all right, I'm just going to do on the spot. I would say spot. one plus one, Beyonce. Oh, that's a good song. Shade, no thinking on the spot. Oh, okay, go. okay. Because now I'm blanking on the name, but it's the Luther Vandross um, with the woman. It's a it's a redo. Ah! If this world were mine. Oh, 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 yes. that's good. What's okay. yours, Glenn? Go. Um, I was I, like, what is uh, the shit called? I was like, the bird, the bees. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say a Frank Ocean song, probably Sierra Leone, closely followed by Ooh. Spanish joint, D'Angelo. If you could get you could do a second one. Oh, Spanish joint. Yeah, I'm like, how do you get a second one? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? I oh, mine is sweet, sweet TNT. Oh, I <laughs> That's a forever be a classic. Some people say God is a trini. I really align with that. <laughs> I think. Oh, no, I'm not going to say that's Jesus. I was like, I think. Palestinian, but <laughs> I said God. You know, <laughs> you sure did. You sure did. I stand corrected. Um, well, hotline, no hotline bling. not blinging. not really blinging, just with work texts and emails. Yeah, it's yeah. Slow. Just so you guys are clear, I'm in San Francisco. I guess Shade's in Boston. Bean Town. Is that Bean Town? Oh. Is that a racist so? to say that? I just thought they ate like bean soups. I'm not kidding. I thought it was like they were going for soups and chowders and things like that. So they got bean soup. Not bean soup, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is Boston nicknamed Bean Town? Because Puritans took the beans. Oh, tea? Like the tea? Because Puritans attacked Native Americans. Is that what it is? Um, Never mind. Never saying that again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Glenn is in Brooklyn but you know yes. Glenn's always stressed yeah oh okay wait <laughs> quick hotline bling I have been texting all my Real Housewives fans because <laughs> Andy Cohen is gonna get all my love he said oh Atlanta Beverly Hills Dubai I'm at the same yeah, but I don't time. like how Bravo treats the Atlanta girls they are so damn cheap and racist they were doing side-by-sides. I'll try to find the post and we can post it on our story or something. But they were doing side-by-sides of like the promo videos and promo pictures of like Beverly Hills versus Atlanta. And the Atlanta castmates actually invested their own money to create their own promotional photo shoot because the one that Bravo provided for them was so underfunded and like ratchet. That's oh, bullshit. Okay. Cause I heard that they're the most, that franchise makes the most bread. They Atlanta. did at one point. I'm saying, I don't not think anymore. so anymore. Not with oh, but I heard, but I for a long that, time, I was like, really? For a long time, Atlanta was the number one franchise. Um, I don't think so now. Ooh, Just based off of think, how it is, it's kind of boring. Uh, have, have you all seen the recent episode? No. Oh, God. Is that the one where they were arguing at the child's at the, party and the white lady was like, it's a oh, child's party. Not even that one. <laughs> the dinner party with, oh. what's his face? With uh, Drew and her man? 
Oh, her man needs to get packed up. Okay, so let's be let's we're gonna go into our black girl doing shit in our group chat, but let's circle back on this topic for the what would you do? Okay, great. So we'll do that for what would you do? Up next, we have our black girl doing shit. It's one of my dearest friends. You're gonna love this interview. And now a word from our sponsors. This episode of Black Girls Texting is sponsored by This Is L. This Is L is period care inspired by nature. L tampons contain organic cotton without the organic price, and they have a 100% organic cotton core. L is the number one cotton brand in feminine care in the United States, and I can let you know that all of our group chats are talking about it. Actually, just the other day, my homegirl came over and she saw my box of This Is L out in my bathroom, and she literally screamed and we had a nice little key about how much we love the brand and how much using it makes us feel like we're doing something good for the earth and also makes us feel good that we're not putting something in our body that can be harmful. So we definitely suggest that you check out This Is L. Go to thisisl.com and tell them that Black Girls Texting sent you. Our friends at Ulta Beauty shared a few product recommendations for keeping your curls juicy and joyful. Ulta Beauty recommends using the following products in your routine to help in prolonging your protective styles by keeping your hair healthy and hydrated. First, cleanse with Sunday Sunday Root Refresh Micellar Rinse. This lightweight and gentle cleanser is color safe, sulfate free, and keeps your scalp and hair fresh between washes. Ulta Beauty's next recommendation is Kemet Biologics Burdock Root Buttercream, which provides rich, lightweight moisture for fine, thin, afro-slash-coily hair, delivering 24-plus hours of moisture without the buildup, perfect for dry, medium-low porosity hair. We'll finish with Rizzo's Curls Nourish Oil, which is made with 100% pure essential oils to provide a radiant shine. This lightweight oil quickly absorbs and penetrates, providing moisture and minimizing frizz for visibly healthier looking hair and scalp. So what are you waiting for? Head over to Ulta Beauty or Ulta.com to shop all your hair care essentials now. And now we are back with more Black Girls Texting. My good sis, that's a Black girl doing shit. I am so excited. I have one of my very dear friends, one of like a very old friend too. Um, We actually lived in Spain together. um, And she is this week's Black girl doing shit. Ileana Green Esquire is the director of community engagement at the Hood Incubator, a national grassroots nonprofit dedicated to empowering drug war survivors to end the drug war by 2040. I love that there's like a a, a goal. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Um, Eliana is also humbled to serve as the senior policy advisor at the Minority Cannabis Business Association, the largest national trade association dedicated to serving the needs of minority cannabis entrepreneurs. Eliana is a native of West Side of Chicago. Um, she's a, is a sociologist and movement lawyer. She is a double alumnus of Loyola University, New Orleans, where she earned her JD cum laude with a certificate in social justice, as well as her BA in sociology and African diaspora studies. 
Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Eliana is a proud board member of Because Black is Still Beautiful, a nonprofit organization committed to dismantling perceptions, practices, and policies that negatively affect criminal justice impacted Black women. Eliana's personal academic concentration is global drug policies and their impact within Latin America and the Caribbean. She is licensed to practice law in the state of California and Illinois and has a background as a re-entry attorney helping individuals navigate civil legal consequences caused by their criminal convictions. And best believe y'all, I'm reading all this because I'm proud of my friend. In her spare time... In her spare time, Eliana enjoys exploring the African diasporic people's art, history, and culture. So welcome to the group chat. Ooh, thank you. I didn't realize you got to read all of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Me. Yeah, you got to give your friends their roses while they're here. Um, I'm so proud of you and like all that you're doing. And um, I just want to want to talk about it. Also, Shade. I have to let you know, Ellie spent some of the, a, a great deal of the pandemic in Grenada, right? Yes. I did. I did go to Grenada. Are you Grenadian? Yes. My mom's side. Oh, nice. Your country is beautiful. I had such a great time. Your people were welcoming me. It was beautiful. Y'all didn't have no COVID. I didn't understand why yep. you were there. Wasn't no COVID. They was not fucking around. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was, yes. I, I went on a little self-guided peace retreat because I needed it at that moment. Like yes. I needed it. Um, so I went with one of my homegirls from college. She's Grenadian. Um, she's Grenadian Venezuelan. Um, and so, um, yeah, it was beautiful. You have a beautiful country. We'll have to talk offline and be like, what's her last name? Where did you go? <laughs> but we can get into all that later. All right, y'all. It's time for the group chat. Thank you so much for coming. I love that Chelsea read every single sentence because accomplished <laughs> much <laughs> okay so first and foremost can you tell us about the hood incubator definitely yeah i'm excited so i'm the director of community engagement there and like you said um we empower drug war survivors to end the drug war by 2040 uh 2040 we believe that by ending the drug war will increase um you know the health wealth power and prosperity of survivors of the drug wars especially black communities um and we you know we we help increase drug war survivors' economic freedom, their political voice, and their self-determination through three different areas of work that we engage in. And so the, those are like economic development, policy advocacy, and power building. I love this term, the drug war survivors. Can you like speak more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a self-identified term. You know, we understand that the drug war, you know, um, is a broad, it stemmed from a broad set of intensely racist drug policies uh, determined to divest power from Black communities. And so I think that's definitely, you know, up to the individual to make a determination if they feel like they've been impacted by those policies. So we definitely, you know, we we think of that term broadly in terms of being inclusive of who we're trying to help and empower. But if you feel, you know, uh, definitely a specific segment of history, of American history that, I mean, in in global history, um, that's gone on. So I think in terms of like answering your question of criteria for who could be in our programming is definitely self-identified, whether you feel like you've been impacted by the drug war. But with that big understanding of what the drug war is, you know. And what might that look like then, like impacted and in what types of ways? So, you know, so like I said, so the drug war stemmed from a broad set of intensely racist drug policies determined to divest power from black communities. So I think that the number one um, 
hit on the Black community has been uh, the depletion of economic resources. And so I think there's like three or four big major ways that that's happened. So like one, mass incarceration, you're taking away a really concentrated uh, portion of your workforce um, who's working age. And so now people are not able to provide for their family. They're not able to you know, create an economy within their community. And then once you get back home from incarceration, they smack a felony on you. So then that really takes away from your long-term earning potential. You can't get certain jobs. You, you know, you have all of these uh, civil issues stacked against you. I can't get housing. I can't get employment. Um, you know, I can't get access to certain public benefits. Um, so then that's depleting your wealth in another way. You know, another concept called civil, civil asset forfeiture. Um, and that's basically when the government takes away like your cash, real estate, money, property, just because they suspect that is connected to criminal activity. So you don't even have to be arrested or convicted of the crime. They can still take away your stuff because it's like, oh, you pay for this car out the money that you were selling drugs with type, you know. So you don't, uh, that's another way that you're directly taking wealth from a community. And then finally, like depleting the public resources that are part of a community. So over the last 50 years, uh, federal, state, and local budgets, they've greatly shifted to disproportionately fund law enforcement and, you know, taking money that they were previously using for public resources and community programs. And now that those budgets have shifted, which is why you got to get involved in your budget process because, you know, there's more transparency on where your money's going. But I think of those as like the top four, like, big hits of like how you can see that it's been an economic hit. Um, so I think if you feel like they got your money off of this or like, you, you know, and I think another way is your health, the depletion of health, because um, health is wealth. Um, so those are like a few of the like really big ways that I could see someone feeling like, OK, I fit into a bucket of like I see I saw those things in my community. I'm impacted by the war on drugs. This might be a silly question. What do you think about some of the theories around how some of these drugs entered our communities? So I want to say that I'm speaking on behalf of me, Ileana, as an individual, not tied to any organization that I work for, not the place, not Chelsea, not tied to like anybody who I'm associated with. But I feel like there's more than enough evidence in, you know, like in public statements, you know, from people who are in um in high up offices saying that, you know, one, we knew that this was uh we were lying about the drugs. And then second, I think that there is a lot of evidence pointing to, you know government and, and other higher powers that be um, contributing to to the, the health crisis to begin with. So I think there's two separate issues like that you're pointing out. One, like you said, where, where did crack come from? Because it just popped up one day. And then separate, and that's one issue. And then separate, what is our response? Regardless of where it came from, what is our response to this health issue? And, and how do we go about that? And I feel like those intermingledly make up the war on drugs, essentially. But a lot of what we're trying to dismantle right now is like, what are all of these like repercussions of this health con uh, crisis? And we've made it into criminalization, essentially. Completely. Yeah. Oof. yeah it's, it's, I follow you. I, I follow you. Like, I thought about that, too. They didn't just pop up one day. I mean, right. my, da my dad grew up in the my dad just turned 75. So he, he's seen like all the drugs and like heroin, like a lot of his like I don't even know half of my dad's side of the family because they all died from heroin and I'm like why like when did people just start doing this and he's like I literally I don't know like people would just do it socially like at parties it just like became a thing it was just getting passed around and I was like that is so crazy to me and then after that to your point then it's crack it's like constantly a new 
thing. And it's, and it's funny to see now there's a show on Hulu that I started watching. I can't watch it ever again called dope sick. And it's talking about, um, uh, my God, the opioid, the opioid crisis. crisis, But what is the specific drug that ever Oxycontin Mm. and crazy to see how that became this whole like national crisis. And that is when, you know, addiction got deemed as like a disease because it was obviously more of like white usage or even when you see movies like Wolf of Wall Street how like normalized like you using quaaludes where like it was fun it was like sexy party drugs or coke but, the difference or co- between coke or, and yeah. crack yeah completely it's pretty wild so it doesn't seem like it was accidental not at all and like like it, to your point to be clear like I feel like a lot of times people like, while a lot of the work that I do is cannabis-specific, when we're talking about the war on drugs, I want to be clear, it's the crack epidemic. It's rooted in the crack epidemic, and people mm-hmm. try to, like, stir around that. But, yeah, just so we're, like, and the opioid epidemic is a different epidemic that is definitely devastating, but a, a different one. So I just do want to be clear that the war on drugs is rooted in talking about the crack epidemic. Yeah, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist or anything, but mm, something ain't right. Because my sister talks, my sister's 16 years older mm-hmm. than me, and she talks about like Brooklyn during that time and how like people who had good jobs, like they had families all of a sudden turned into zombies. Like it was just like wild to see what it did to it's the a neighborhood. It's, you're sick. You're sick. And that's, I mean, it should have been treated like a sickness. And the reality is you made a group of people very ill and then just threw them all in jail and threw away the key in response to you making them sick. Yeah. Speaking specifically about marijuana, though, and like the cannabis industry, I live in California now. I live in California now, and there are dispensaries everywhere, right? Like it's normal here, but we still know people are getting in trouble for weed. Like, how is that possible? Like, how is it possible that some people are becoming multimillionaires off of this plant and some people are being thrown in jail? Because we live in America, Chelsea, it's capitalism, baby. What you mean? Um, I guess the same reason, like to, to bluntly answer your question, the same reason that there are any other inequities in this country, racism. Um, uh, so like big picture answer that question. Um, but I guess in in, um, in terms of California, I mean, there's still like rules and regulations around how you can operate with marijuana or cannabis and um you know it's still going to be disproportionately enforced on us because that's sex to point a racism um so you know <laughs> it's like like i i like i i guess not even desensitized from it but like just big picture just like that's the big picture <laughs> yeah. yeah i know a lot of people who don't even necessarily want it to be like legalized in their states because they feel that like once it gets like commodified that like drives up prices so like you can't necessarily like get marijuana from your local dealer or like things just like the whole system is changed and then like the money goes into people who have like tons of money I mean I don't know how these industries function that's so I'm real sure. and I guess and, I, and, I, and like I don't even like I think even if we don't want legalization that's valid in terms of we're not wanting a commercial market um we definitely need decriminalization at yes. mm-hmm. where it's not a criminal offense um and nonetheless it's coming so i would advise the state to hop ahead of this you know uh in terms of creating 
legalizations that's actually equitable so you're not feeding into these huge capitalistic machines you know like new york just rolled up you guys just legalized last year um uh so you it's guys all are- over the train like literally there's like signs all on all the trains like cannabis consumption like you have to be 21 like all this stuff but i'm like this is interesting it almost feels like they're trying to like market it like yeah okay if you're 21 like go buy your yeah yeah, yeah. And that's why a lot of these dispensaries end up being like real sterile looking like a like a Apple store or yep. like a, you know, type situation because um, you're that's who they're they're targeting to. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited like, to see how New York rolls out, though. I'm wondering, like, I guess, like the legal aspect of that, like, I just don't get how like it just I know there's racism, obviously, but like, it's just like, how is this still legal? Like, how can't. You, as a lawyer you fight that you know like to be enforced to for someone being like arrested in a state that's legal mm-hmm. yeah. well so for one there's like you know you can only have so much quantity you're still not allowed to make sales even if you're able to possess your style you, you can't sell weed without a license so if you're selling weed you're still you know eligible for a conviction mm-hmm. so that's probably might be one area um that you can only possess so much um i have to look at other stuff to see what type of convictions but you're right like even um in in California, the 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 disparity is still pretty high between black and, and white arrests for cannabis related offenses. Yeah, it's gross um, and depressing and makes me mad. Yeah, you can't um, smoke in public places like certain public places either. So there's all these like little stuff that yeah. <laughs> can still choose to be enforcing. Right, and the law at the end of the day, I feel like is like it's like a person right? It's like how people enforce it. It's like how you choose who you choose to arrest for what. Um, I also wanted to just ask you about the New York State Seating Opportunity Initiative. Can you talk to us about that? Definitely. Um, So excited um, that you guys uh, in New York just rolled out your recently your uh, regulations um, for for, uh, different license types. So the seating of initiative is through you guys state, uh, three different categories. They have a program for farmers first. Um, They have a program for retail licenses. And then they also have a grant fund that they're um, using to help folks get uh, dispensary space. Um, So the the farmers first program, they have it uh, open and eligible to to certain pre-existing hemp farmers. Um, and then for the retail license, it's open to folks who uh, have certain conviction histories, um, and they also had a history of owning a business previously. And then separate from that, there's like a grant fund that um, folks can eventually apply to to get um, like property uh, space, which is really cool because you guys are definitely the first uh, state to roll out that comprehensive of support for your equity program um, coming out in um to have a first round that's specifically for justice impacted folks or for people with certain convictions. So yeah, it's, y'all have a really impressive program. That's dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when does it end? Is it like, so, so this is, so, so that's the state, the, 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 the bigger title that the state has put on three different, like license, uh, two licensing types and then a, a big grant fund. So it doesn't have a, a each category kind of has different um, individual end dates. They're uh, conditional licenses, meaning that they only last for a certain period. Um, but uh, at the Hood Incubator, we're actually hosting a um, what we're calling a, a Legacy and Equity Empowerment Roundtable, and that's uh, hosted by Weed, uh, powered by Weed Maps, and it's a public education and political activation program, and we're targeting justice-impacted uh, people and legacy operators and farmers of color in New York. 
Um, and so basically we have a hundred uh, spots open and we'll support folks um, with a, a bunch of different stuff, such as like navigating the application process, business development, um, establishing relationships a, a, across different parts of the supply chain, um, you know, being able to learn different concepts of building power within your industry and how, you know, doing that can, can you can, you guys can help each other. Um, so we're really excited to uh, roll that out. We actually have the application process that's open right now. So looking for folks who are trying to hop into New York's game and want some additional support navigating it. Um, so like, for example, uh, before the program even formally rolled out, we did a teach out on the two different license types that are out right now, just because like a lot of times the way laws are written are just like convoluted, hard to understand, hard to navigate. Um, so making sure that the information is accessible. Um, we have like um, their retail licenses. They're still in the public uh, comment phase, meaning that the rule is not final. The, the public can still um, make comment on it. And so we actually have like a data poll going, asking people what they think about it and to vote on like things that they want to see changed about it. Because even though it's like really um, great and progressive for the country, there's still major things that can, can be changed in favor of community and in favor of equity. So we're going to be submitting public comment on, on the rules and we really encourage folks. I'll drop the link um, to where folks can like fill out the form to submit public comments because um, they're due at the end of the month. And we really want to make sure that people's voices are heard in creating these rules. So, you know. So you can't be like, oh, like, I don't like it. You know, we got to do something. I'm curious, like, of a lot of people who have been, like, in the industry illegally, like, how many kind of, if you even know this, but, like, transition. Convert, yeah, or, like, mm -hmm. transition to doing it legally. So, yeah, so, like, a, a legacy operator, those are the folks that we're largely targeting targeting to be, um, to to help to get into the, into the game. Um, so I don't know any specific number, specifically New York, which is such a, a new market. So nobody mm -hmm. yet, because New York's market is brand new. But I think that folks are better able to do that when there are specific steps put in place to assist them and to, you know, make sure that they um, have access to, to, um, to the resources and make sure that the policies are not set up to keep them out. You know, like one of the issues right. we currently see with the, um, with the current rules is that you have to have business ownership for at least two years. You know, so a, a legacy operator, somebody who's selling cannabis before regulation passes, if I do that and then I have a business going, that's money laundering at that point. But simultaneously in the in the regs, it says that if you money launder, you're automatically excluded, excluded. So stuff like that, you know, little stuff, you know, you got to bring that to folks attention. Like um, that's, you know, a policy that is seemingly very um, going to be a barrier to folks who are in the legacy market. Um, who are trying to transition it and go above, uh, you know, it go into regulation. And then in terms of like funding, everyone says like to really get into the industry, especially if you're going to own your own um, like dispense, well, not a dispensary, like you're, you're going to grow the plant. Yeah, that it's like millions of dollars of an investment. It's definitely a huge investment. I will say that New York has made some steps to make it accessible. One of the big fees is the cost of the license. And I'll say that New York has done a good job of making these licenses affordable. They're like $2,000, um, the ones that are currently for, for the, um, the two conditional licenses that are out are very affordable. Um, another big hindrance is access to actual uh, physical space. So not for cultivation, but for the this uh, for the retail side, the state is actually through their fund um, providing some resources uh, to actually get space. So those are like two of the the hugest 
cost barriers to getting into the game. I would say that New York is, you know, pretty advanced in that. But you're, but you're right. It is a huge financial endeavor. A lot of people don't have that access to capital, and then you can't access traditional, you know, banking methods or um, to get a loan of, you know, a regular business loan. So that's a, a huge barrier. Damn, the man trying to keep us down. <laughs> no, but like dead ass. Um, oh my God, I just am so proud of you. Um, I think about like when we lived in Spain. And so if I haven't made it already clear, we lived in Spain together when we were like 15 or 16 for a year. Um, and the program was very white. It was a program for private and boarding schools across the country where they picked like 50 kids to live in Spain. And we were one of the few black girls. Um, and I remember dealing with our hair and I have a specific memory of us like running around Zaragoza looking for a hair salon. And we found like this, was she Venezuelan or Dominican, Dominican woman? In places. Yeah. And she like did our hair and we would go to the salon together. But I'm looking at you, this professional, this lawyer, this activist, this, you know, director, and you have locks, right? Yeah. And you have natural hair. And um, I know that you're a board member of Because Black is Still Beautiful. Um, I don't know. Can you just speak to being a professional woman with your with your locks and like definitely. what the choices and all that? I think one, I definitely am very privileged because I operate in primarily black spaces every day, all day. And that is a blessing and a privilege. And I recognize that. Um, so I know that my experience may not be like many um, of my peers who are in professional spaces. And I don't take that for granted. Um, I, you know, funny enough, I didn't realize until we became adults how much of an impact that Spain had on me. Um, I think one of the reasons I originally went natural and started the transition to my locks, we, we read a Toni Morrison book in um, Spain in our English class. I think it was Song of Solomon. Oh my um, God, I can't even remember the quote, but there was a there was a Toni Morrison quote in Song of Solomon that just like uh, really like I was like, OK, I'm, I'm about to go natural. This is like it, it was. Yeah. Between some of the characters, I'm going to misquote it, so I'm not even going to try. Um, but so from there, honestly, crazy enough, there decided to go into um, hair. Actually, a lot of. Can you say more about you? You mentioned that that trip kind of got you into this work. Was it? What, what did you see, or what did you experience? That there are uh, a number the of bus things. experience. Yeah, the bus experience is one of them. Uh, we were on a trip with a whole bunch of like friends. We were allowed to explore the country, kind of at our leisure. I don't know if I let my 15, 16 year old child just go we were around. Wilding. I know. I was like, what? We Girl, were all over the country. Yes, I don't know that I let weekend. my 60 year old child just like go around Europe at their leisure kicking it. But we did. Um, and so it was a group of like friends. I can't remember. It was a large group of us, maybe like 10 people. I want to say we were deep. And we had went to Barcelona, I want to say. Um, it's like two hours from where we lived. We were on the way back. And on the way back, as we uh, like got to the city we lived in, as we departed, there was a drug search. But the drug search only included the people of color. All the white people got to like scurry on off the bus, keep it pushing. And then everybody who was not white got pulled to the side for this drug search. Um, and so we had white people in our group. Uh, like our group was multi, multi-racial and cultural. Um, and so like the white people were on the side waiting for us. Um, and that was when I understood for the first time my American privilege because I showed my, my passport and they started damn near apologizing because they realized I was mm. an American minor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yup. <laughs> 
<laughs> we are leaving. Let's go. But that was like the first time that I think I had like blatantly seen like in my face, like this correlation of like racism. It wasn't the first time, but like one of the times it was like crystal clear of this correlation of race and this perception of drugs or, or concept. Um, particularly because some, yeah, but it, it was wild. So I think that was one of the first times and then you know another time like uh, in my high school experience as Chelsea said all of our you know the people who went to these programs are our high schools are very small elite private or or boarding schools um in my high school experience a, a student like got dismissed for the use of cocaine and was asked to take a medical leave which was very polite and great but I knew that, that was my medical was leave if that was my elite university um it had a great life which oh I don't know that they had a great life but <laughs> they they by by our standards of what uh success and being able to mm-hmm. have access to capital and resources they were they had that mm-hmm. um and I know that if it was my black behind who got caught with cocaine at 15 16 17 whatever in high school I wouldn't get no dang on expelled medical leave. and, and you know you can get a medical leave because then you're like it's covered by HIPAA you have all types of new oh. protections because this is a, a health issue and now we really can't share this because this is a health issue and you're seeing it correctly um but mm-hmm. if that wouldn't happen for me so just like the accumulation of like all of those things kind of in a small tight window um and then actually when I right when I got back home from Spain um Professor Michelle Alexander was had just finished writing the new Jim Crow and it was on its way out. And um, my mom took me to to see her at like a church in Chicago she was speaking at. Um, And so like just all of it in like all of it in like such a close proximity, I didn't realize until like much later in life, but I think was really probably a driving moment for like, I I think this is what I'm going to do. Do you think there are any like political movements or like politicians that are trying to think in a more like advanced mindset around like this war on drugs but also like the way we look at drugs and future policy I'm thinking because like okay everyone's like Ronald Reagan and the whole like dare like how crazy that was and there was like such a shift I think in terms of like associating it with like a conservative view and obviously it was like an attack on black and brown people so I'm like how do we prevent things like that from happening again because I'm looking at the way this country is going with like what's happening with Roe and all the ways in which like the old school energy of like basically Mm. white supremacist past seem like they're like creeping up. So I'm like, could we see something like this kind of start to happen again, even though we are making progress? I'm asking a very long convoluted question, but I hope it makes sense. I hear a couple of questions. I'll answer it. So one in terms of like, have I kind of found a political home or movement ideology? Mm -hmm. Um, one definitely place I found is uh, Black Futures Labs. I just finished an eight-month policy mm. that I'm so proud of. Um, they are dope. They uh, really are. And it's more broadly in terms of like, what does our Black future look like? How can we create policies that create the Black future that we want to see? So there are a bunch of different people in my policy institute who like were working on a whole bunch of different different issues that were centered on advancing like Black health and wealth and power and prosperity. Um, and so... Um, yeah, so I think that's one for sure. Uh, Black Futures Labs they uh, they they host a uh, eight month think tank. Um, another one that I uh, engage in is Law for Black Lives um, that also does movement lawyering, which is this concept of following folks who are directly impacted by issues um, rather than trying to take leadership as you know 
as a legal expert on something, just because I might know how to read a law don't mean I know anything about what's happening in regards to how this law has impact on a person. So you can't just pop up, you know, somebody I'm a lawyer and I know X, Y, Z. No, you don't calm down. So like really, really taking a backseat, letting people tell you how they want you to help you and then using the little skills you get from all that money you didn't pay to school and in, in, in delivering that in a way that people are asking of it, not how you just decided. Um, that, so that's another big group. Um, you know, uh, and I feel like not even to be self-promotional, but the hood incubator has really been another, um, you know, hub yeah. of people who are on the same wavelength of trying to create this motion and movement. Um, you know, in terms of politicians, um, I don't know a whole, whole, whole lot about them. Um, but I do like Gary Chambers um, from Louisiana. I lived in Louisiana for nine years. Um, uh, I stayed down in, in New Orleans. Um, and I think he's very much so running on, you know, what we at the Hood Incubator called a cannabis justice platform of, you know, a platform that is inclusive of removing all these collateral consequences that are, you know, harmful to our communities and caused by the, the drug war. And, you know, and one, I think we need to shift our focus because for so long, the, the focus was like, let's free the plant. Like, okay, we free the plant. We got to free the person. Like, what good is it if I can smoke weed, if I can't get no house, if I can't get no job, if I can't get, you know, the food I need, you know, so we need to free the person. So, okay. So your first question was political home. I'm trying to remember the other questions you had. Um, I guess like we're, so we are obviously making progress in that, like, um, cannabis is oh, are we going decriminalized. Backwards? Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's white supremacy. And I think in the last eight to 10 years, people have been less scared to say it. Um, So, and I think that that does two things. One, I think that it is positive that we can now see above ground what was happening underground. Um, But um, so that that's one reason why I'm like definitely a proponent of freedom of speech, because I think once you take speech underground, people, it it takes it to a different level of, of, of the dark world, basically. But the way that, you know, violence on black lives has been accepted in recent time it's just emboldened people um really emboldened people um and so they feel like they can do things without consequence because they can a lot of time um so i definitely think that we are taking steps backwards um and heading in a white supremacist regime generally like directionally um but i don't know how different it is from most of american history i think we're just like very visible in a way that a lot of our generation is not used to if I ask my grandma she probably gonna say my grandma from Mississippi when my grandmother's from Mississippi she probably gonna say nothing changed so um it depends on who you ask probably and I think we have the privilege of I grew up my whole life in Chicago y'all from New York so racism looked very different to us you know than it's looking right now yeah okay so guys the question that I didn't want to ask but now we are asking is basically around like if people are still going to operate like underground illegally still even though it's legalized so definitely if there are huge hindrance and blockades to people getting into the market so california that's a a huge thing a a a huge percentage and i wish i had my stats in front of me but a huge percentage of california's uh market is underground and actually you can check it out in the mcba report because i did write a report on it in real life um but yeah, a, a big portion is still going to operate underground, underground if you can't get into the game because you have all of these hindrances to getting in. And so really, that's going to be the biggest disadvantage to the state because then you're missing out on tax money. So you really want your highest uh, amount of consumers to be going to a place where they're paying taxes. And that's not going to happen if old boy from the corner still got the best prices because he ain't trying to get in the game because it's too expensive. You know, mm-hmm. so why if I've been from him for the last five years ain't nothing changed to me 
you know, like, so yeah, so there definitely will be a supply and a demand for the underground market, regardless if, if, if the, the barriers are too high to get in. Are you seeing a lot of people come into this, like, as a joint effort, maybe with like some partners, like to do the legal option? Like cannabis susu? Yeah, basically. <laughs> Not know, so a cannabis susu. Or like, or just like up with a partner or something. Like, definitely. You know? I think it's tough to get in by yourself. Um, so definitely, especially, you know, New York sets it up so that you could, um, so for their conditional license that has to be owned by like a, a person who fits the criteria for the, you know, limited, you have to own a business, have owned a business and have the certain conviction, but you can own it uh, with another person who also has a conviction and you guys can get up to like 49% of the investment from somebody completely unrelated. So there's still opportunity for you know, you to partner with folks and not go it alone, definitely, in that capacity. Exactly. Totally. Oh my yeah. Gosh. God, all of this is just like, it's, are you hopeful? Because I took, when you came mm. over, when we hung out the other day, I was talking to you about how, like, sometimes I just feel like it is what it is. And this country was built off of racism and it's always going to be racist. And like, that's just what it is. And like, I know that's a fucked up way of thinking about it, but you are in this work, you are, you know, actively working to change things. How do you stay hopeful? Well, one, I think joy is resistance off top. So off top, like all of this, I hope to not be doing drug policy my life, work my whole life. My bigger mission is Mm. liberation. I want to be free. I want to be on a beach, shaking my booty, living, listening to some good uh, soca music. That's where I'm trying to be in life. Come on. So, you know, I think all of these steps are steps towards our liberation. I think rest is is liberation. Uh, Rest is resistance. Like we have a four work, four day work week at my job because we recognize that rest is resistance and that's how you stay whole and that's how you stay, you know, alive. Um, Surrounding myself with other people who are in this movement fighting, who I know are fun, who, you know, I'm a jokester. I'm a big class clown. Like um, all I do is is make jokes. Um, So... Yes, I'm hopeful, but like I also like I'm real. And so I agree with you on a lot of them points. Um, but and I also recognize that the diaspora exists and is available to me outside of this country. Um, so mm-hmm. like I'm not even at press on them to be real with you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like I am, but like the world is bigger than than America. And I think that that's one thing that I've been really privileged to see from a young age through like being able to explore the world is that it's big life in the world is bigger than here. Um, so it is discouraging, but like, I'm not gonna let America hold me down. (laughs) I love, I love the mission. I love the energy. And I think that like, a lot of what you're doing is, is really inspiring because like, yes, you're working in, in like the, the ending the war on drugs, but to your point, you're like, you're looking for overall liberation. And I think so much of like starting to like tear down the all the shit that was basically like meant to break us is like I don't know I'm like very impressed by you I I don't really have words but (laughs) literally yeah like I think this is just I think that this is the most pressing issue that I've seen in my lifetime because we come out of the crack epidemic late born late 80s early (sighs) 90s so this has been the largest thing that I've seen impeding on Black liberation, but I hope to one day have, in 10, 15 years be working on a different issue. Yeah. Acting yeah. Black liberation. Like I know that like, you know, and, and I see this as a more global issue and its impact stemming from Latin America and the Caribbean and, you know, also having family heritage there. That's important to me in terms of just wanting to be this more global citizen. So, yeah. 
So where are we going next? <laughs> Actually, I'm taking my grandmother um, to the Caymans for her 90th birthday um, in September. I have an aunt who lives there. So like my, so not the side, so my, my dad's side is, what's the term you said? So American Negro. Chelsea told me a new term that that's out. Eidos. Oh, Lord. Oh. <laughs> so my, 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 my dad's side is Eidos. My mom's side is in the Caribbean. So I'm taking the dad's side who's Eidos. Uh, she, I don't, she hasn't been to the group. Well, she's been a little bit to the group, but not for real. Um, to the Caymans. And I have family from the other side who lives there. Um, so that'll be fun. We're going to the Cayman Islands for uh, her 90th birthday. I love oh, that's that. going to be amazing. Yes. We'll look we out for to, the pics. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. look out for the pics. She's turning 90, I'm turning 30, so it's going to be a hot girl summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For both of y'all. <laughs> um, well, literally, you are the embodiment of a Black girl doing shit. I am so proud to call you my friend. Um, so happy that you were able to join the group chat. Um, I don't know. Just, I'm so proud of you. Like, I'm so proud really of you. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for and y'all for hosting this and for putting together this amazing space where we can be ourselves, where we can be real, where we can see ourselves, where we can like see ourselves like not only like racially, but uh, you know, in terms of different socioeconomic statuses and just really being yourself in a group chat. So I really appreciate the space and y'all be hella funny on here. Y'all be having me. (laughs) We're gonna share everything, like all the links that the link that you sent me. I'm even gonna I have the Black Liberation link. Like, Mm -hmm. so if there's anything else you want to share or if there's anything else you want or i just only because i feel like we haven't touched on it all y'all from new york so i just want to point out that i'm from chicago from the west side of chicago it is an important statement that we didn't i see y'all conveniently didn't get to (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) damn chicago got beef with us now not even (laughs) (laughs) i'm obsessed listen i have some shot town family i know how y'all get down yeah, so I just wanted to make sure that was included. So nobody. She's like, just put, just put some respect on my. I mean, you've been all over the damn world. A lot of I was like, wait. <laughs> but that's why it's important that we bring it up because I recognize and I understand that Chicago is home, regardless of where I go around. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Oh, I love that. Well, do you want to share any like Instagram handles to yes. follow? Sure, yeah, follow at Hood Incubator. I can type in the chat box. Yeah, at Hood Incubator um i'll also put minority cannabis business associations um uh handle in there let me find it for you real quick um yeah follow them on instagram so y'all can stay up on what's going on we'll do amazing thank you for joining the thank group you for chat. Joining. i love you so much what would you do if your man was trifling and a gaslighter oh, <laughs> not that bitch right. googling what gaslight meant and then was like Oh, oh my God, has he gaslighted me? This happens to me. I mean, I must say that I think I'm a great judge of character because I never liked Drew Sedora. I didn't like her since the first season that she was on. She's annoying. But I do feel terrible for her in terms of her relationship. Her man is trashola. Trashola. Yeah. Girl. He's got to go. He's like, disgusting. He's like not allowing her to discuss issues that they need to deal with. And like, he thinks him having planning a nice dinner means that she can't talk about the issues in their relationship. Like it was ridiculous. Okay. Here's my, my hot take though. Mm -hmm. She's exploiting her marriage to be on television. I'm sorry. Because like, besides that, wow, I feel, okay. 
my assumption and the way this comes off, because I know this is all television and I know that she's still a real person, but seemingly she's exploiting her relationship to be on television because besides that, her storyline is not that exciting. And that is what people are coming to see, like them beefing and the them, having, them having drama. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, them beefing and them having drama. And so I'm like, this is kind of sad. But then at the same time, I assume like her man had to have signed up for this. But it seems like there's always this like drama that needs to be the the pot needs to be stirred with them. And he's probably like, oh my fucking God, like, is this going to be our storyline? But at the same time, they had to have sat down and talked about it. No, he, no. I mean, I don't know. I watched, I went on their page after that. So I was trying to figure out like what was going on with them. And I did end up having that feeling too, because they are like promoting some, couples card game and they the way they sit Who together the and fuck in- would buy their card game right but this is like part of their joking thing and like laughing and saying little weird little like side comments about him being trifling but they laugh about it and like it's like they're performing and I was looking at it like damn that is kind of sad like people really just be out here like I mean the whole scene with the guys the was like oh, I heard about the assistant in the massage and da 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 and how are you treating wifey and I'm like Hmm. This damn massage. What, what really was the story pisses- last year? Tampa. Mm-hmm. What kind That's of pisses me awesome. off about Atlanta, though? It seems like all of the like women are in these like fucked up relationships for the most part. Like mm-hmm. I guess the closest good one we see is the Jamaican girl. Her name is Shanae. I don't know. Candy. I'm not sure. Candy and Todd. Candy and Todd. Oh, Candy and Todd. Candy and Todd. They're they're having some little weird. That's normal. Yeah, Candy and Todd. They're kind of goals. Sheree held down the jailbird. I don't like that. I don't like that. Why are we watching this 50-year-old, 50-something-year-old successful Black woman pining over this jailbird? Because maybe (laughs) that was was love for her. But then didn't he start doing it? <laughs> I would love to see a castmate from Beverly Hills with a jailbird. Okay, I don't know. Why are we saying um, what's Erica, Erica, a, bear, a jailbird? No. Erica. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it's it's tricky. I mean, we knew Kenya's man was a shit when he walked in with that nose ring. Mm-mm, that was a no. That was the biggest red flag. <laughs> I felt the same way. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll be tuning in. I'm really curious to see where this all goes. Um, one last note on the housewife shit. Did y'all hear that they're gonna do a OGs or no? They're gonna call it um, yes, the With real Dorinda house. and Phaedra. Yes, but they have a legacy. The legacy, edition. like all the people who are no longer on the show. Yes, but it's just gonna be all the older New York ones, and then they're trying to fill the new housewives with like young, interesting people. And also, did you see Phaedra on the Dubai trailer? Yeah, like she's friends with one of the girls. (laughs) Well, I miss her, so. I miss miss Phaedra. I want Phaedra to come back to Atlanta, but apparently Candy, like, put the total kibosh on that. And, like, if Phaedra comes, she's like, well, I'll leave. And I think Andy really loves Candy, so. But. I mean, I would, I don't, has Phaedra, like, formally apologized for that whole thing? I'm sure she's gotten on her hands and knees and begged because mm. she cannot get back on the show because Candy keeps saying, I will leave. If she what did she do again? On. She said that they had, but she, she accused Candy of raising she started Portia. the, she started yeah, that thing that she started that whole rumor. That Phaedra kept the dungeon. Bringing up. I mean, 
She said that Candy like drugged Portia or something and they had their way with her in the dungeon. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, that was the accuser of rape. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was Portia. Well, Portia, yes, but on the reunion in front of Phaedra's face, Portia was like, Remember Phaedra, you told me. Like so, like, and it was yeah, very no. clear that like, Phaedra mad casual. Remember you told me. <laughs> yeah, and you know Portia a little, little slow, slow, so the you could railroad. convince her of things, and yeah. so and Phaedra's very smart, so it seems like Phaedra put the battery in her back, and mm-hmm. Portia went along with it. Yeah, mess. Well, Ooh. more updates to come. More updates uh, to come. I mean, you know, this is going to turn into a Housewives podcast. Sorry exactly. about as it. As soon as we start getting deep in the season. We should just do all the Atlanta Housewives, have them on. Hmm. Group chat, would you guys like that? Let us know in the comments. Not Kenya, Joe. I would love to talk to Kenya. I would love Kenya. She would stress me out. She scares me. I think Kenya, like, has a good heart. I do, too. Yeah, she's been through some shit. Can you imagine if your mother pretended like you didn't exist? That's some OD drama. (laughs) Like, And then her man was out there embarrassing her being terrible to her yeah and she just seems very lonely yeah she's had some lonely girl Mm. well y'all yeah let us know let us know what housewives you want us to go hunt down and if you work (laughs) in the pr world give us the contacts yes please Yes, Take us out, Chelsea. Well, thanks for listening. As Priyush, follow us on Instagram and pretty much everywhere else at Black Girls Texting. Um, we also have a TikTok. We're really trying to grow that platform as well. So if you could just give us a follow, um, we're gonna start posting some even more dynamic videos on there. But for now, you're gonna mm. see some of the great clips um, from all of our episodes. And of course, we have the YouTube and the Patreon and the Twitter, which is Black Girls Text One. And we still have a few pieces of merch left before we do our summer drops. So mm-hmm. um, get those pieces because they're going to be vintage. Not sure that we're going to recreate them. Um, so we're yeah. not. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, one or <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Black Girls Texting. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to text every group chat you're in and tell them to check us out. Follow your girls at Black Girls Texting and we'll see you next week. Bye.